0: Lucky you. 36 you best Holes and golf Ultimate shots podcast Barney's Army where we talk about Sandy. golf candy poker. James Bond horse racing double classic movies. Zenyatta. We have no script.
1: Down the stretch they come. We are
0: glad you joined us.
1: Thank you, my dear. I don't give a damn.
0: <laughs> Thanks for joining Mark Frost, the greatest writer, part two. As we listen to Mark's accounts of the great Bobby Jones, Francis We met Ken Venturi, Arnold Palmer, Harvey Ward, Ben Hogan, Byron Nelson, and others. Country Club was the scene of the Open in 1913. That Open put golf on the front pages of our newspapers for the first time, and small wonder. Francis We met, an almost unknown 20-year-old Boston amateur, but caddied at the Country Club fired the shots heard round the world when he defeated Harry Varden and Ted Ray, the great English professionals in a dramatic playoff. Ladies and gentlemen from the alternate shots podcast, we are so, so very thrilled to have with us today our special guest, Mark Frost. And uh, Billy and I thank you, Mark, for joining us.
2: There was a great event getting ahead of this a little bit after the book came out um, in 2012, I think it was Ken, had been notified by, um, the golf hall of fame. He was going to be admitted that year. And, um, they had decided, uh, there's the first T organization, which ha- has a yearly uh, tournament at Pebble. And they had decided to invite Ken and I as uh, two of the guests of honor for the event. It was a, there was a tournament and, and the fun part was the tournament was the first day at pebble, big dinner that night at pebble. I think, um, the next day we recreated the match and they had brought in Ricky Fowler and Bubba Watson to play Harvey and Ken. And, uh, it was going to be Freddie Couples and, and uh Davis Love to play Ben and Byron. And at the last minute, um Freddie's back went out. So Nick Watney came in and, and played with them. So the only people who were invited were the people who were at that dinner the night before, all the donors to the first, the the first tea. And um President Bush was there. He flipped the coin to start it. I was seated at a table with President Bush on my right, Arnie on my left, and Ken over here next to Arnie. It was a star-studded evening, and uh, Jim and I had talked about this before because Arnie and Ken had had uh, a bit of a a dust-up, as you remember, from going all the way back to the Masters where exactly. Ken felt that he'd gotten a favorable ruling by kind of browbeating an official on an embedded ball and uh, that it may have cost Ken the tournament as a as an amateur, who would have been the first amateur to win it since Mr. Jones, as he always called him. Um, I'd, I'd heard both guys' side of the story, and, and I just felt uh, the other part of the background of this is Ken was not in great health. And he was going to be inducted to the Hall of Fame in a few months. And uh, uh, Jim and I looked at each other and said, look, they may never be in the same room again, for all we know. Let's try to get let's try to get them together. And so we did. And they 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 ended up talking for five, 10 minutes together. And we felt like, okay, you know, we may have helped that a little bit. So the next morning, we all show up seven o'clock in the morning at Cyprus cool, clear, frosty morning. Um, they've all got... The, the players all show up. Nick Watney, who was sort of playing Hogan, brought a, his Hogan cap. Davis, I thought, made a good Byron. That was good casting. Um, uh, Bubba actually made a good Harvey, you know, mm-hmm. as a the, kind of the happy-go-lucky, anything-for-a-laugh kind of guy. Loose as a goose. And Ricky was a very good Ken, you know, kind of um, focused... Um, serious and a great iron player. so you know we uh, we'd cast it pretty well, I thought. and the spooky thing about it, and we we walked the course, I walked with Jim and a couple of other guys the whole it went eighteen. It was almost exactly the same score as the match had been in wow. fifty six. um, the pros ended up uh winning one up. On 17, not 18, which is where it was decided before. Um, the only eagle in the match had been Hogan on, I think it was 10. Um, he holed out from about 95 yards with a pitching wedge. Nick Watney holed out from with a pitching wedge from about 100 yards for an eagle. Oh, wow. <laughs> the only eagle on the match. All four guys in the original birdied 13. All four guys in our match birdied thirteen. It was spooky. I mean, spooky. and everybody felt it.
1: Everybody felt it.
2: It was an absolutely magical afternoon. Um, and, and it ended.
1: And Eddie Lowry lost the bet again.
2: <laughs> exactly.
1: Was I'm sure. You, out there, uh, Ken stayed
2: for the first couple of holes, and then he was he was riding around on a cart. You know, he wasn't he wasn't able to walk it, but. Um, that's a day I'll never forget I mean it's um, like the
0: day they brought Bobby Jones to Wingfoot and yeah. everybody tried to make the putt that he made in 1929 they said uh, why don't you give it a shot he says I don't need to I already made it
1: I already made that putt yeah. I, I already that. made that yeah.
0: putt yeah I remember that story back to Bobby Jones I feel no one maybe knows Bobby Jones other than some diehards at Augusta National better than you how, Maybe Sid Matthews. How would you sure. defend if you said Bobby Jones? There's a lot of debate. Mm-hmm. It's the greatest golfer of all time. Describe how you would defend that.
2: Um, I would I would build the argument that if he wasn't the greatest, and I think there's an argument to say that he was, he was the most important. Um I, I used the analogy in greatest in The Greatest Game that um, Francis was like John the Baptist and Bobby arrived like our Lord and Savior in terms of what he did, how he elevated the game. Um, he was inspired by Francis. Um, uh, his, his relationship, obviously, it, with Eastlake and um, the guy, the caddy who had taught him, the Scottish caddy, uh, is a fantastic story. But when it came down to the heat of battle and he was mostly a match play player, um, there was nobody better. I mean, you know, we always talk about era versus era and it's an impossible question to answer, but he had a game that would have lived in any era. Um, He was also an extraordinary human being with, English lit major, a, a, a master, a, a master's in um, mechanical engineering, and a law degree. Uh, the most well-rounded person to ever play the game, in some ways.
1: Um, and he played it in a tie.
2: And he played it in a suit and tie with, for the most part, whippy shafts. I I I mentioned Sid Matthews, who's a a, a, a colorful guy who lives in atlanta and has written a bunch of books about jones he's got a museum of jones memorabilia that he's collected over a lifetime which he which he generously shared with all of me and i uh, uh all of it with me and i went down to visit him and he took me out to a little course um very old course in thomasville georgia southern georgia just over he lived in jacksonville i think uh, um and we played around with two sets of Bobby Jones's clubs, which he owned. Now I had never tried to play with Hickory before, and um, I could barely get the ball off the ground. Um, So the thought that Jones did what he did with these clubs that had a sweet spot, smaller than a dime, to me, spoke volumes. I mean, to actually have the experience with the clubs in your hands and go, I have no idea how he did this. It's a it's a completely different swing. And um, his mastery of the mental side of the game, which cost him dearly when he was playing, as you know, the stress that he went under in these tournament weeks, he could lose up to 20 pounds in three days. The flesh melted off him like a like a candle when he was in the heat of battle and um, in more ways than one, winning the grand slam nearly killed him as it became this consuming event really for the entire sporting universe at that time, the year that he did it. Um, I think for all those reasons that he was never afraid of anybody, the only guy who could really, you could say was on the same level as a player i mean um was hagen
0: walter hagen hagen
2: um and hagen had a a a different kind of way of going about the game he was devil may care and um a, a com- complete it, it couldn't have been more or less Chalant, you know as as a flair he <laughs> he was the he was the the the, the life of the party uh, and we also know that he was also pouring his drinks into the plants a lot as he was getting everybody else loaded before <laughs> or after a round but uh, he was no dummy but um, and you know um, Sarazen had started to come along but wasn't really on the scene yet with the same uh, the same force and a lot of his great matches were against other amateur players um, and they're, they're you know he had some great matches with those guys, but there, there wasn't any other titan of the game at that point. That as an amateur, he would, he would go against all, uh, all the time. Uh, he and Francis had them. some great matches. Nobody approached him. Uh, Francis. Nobody really you know, pushed
0: him. No one pushed him. No, right? no. So pushed he pushed Tiger. himself. He
2: didn't. He didn't yeah. need a push. He, you know, he was so obsessed with perfection, and we know what happened at St. Andrews the first time he went over when he, quit the game and a. In a, in a kind of um, juvenile fit as he put it tore up his scorecard and walked off the course um, to come back and become the embodiment of everything that the game could be um, and the living exemplar of the game's values, which I think he um, he lived to the end of his life and and what he did for the game, keeping. Augusta going during the depression, starting the, the masters, he was really responsible for the, the, the next big bang. I mean, if, if what Francis did was the atom bomb, Bobby was the hydrogen bomb. And in terms of his impact on the, the development of the sport. So, um, all in, and I know, and I've met Jack and I've spent time with him and he's a, he's an amazing guy. And I would put him a very close second, and then I'd put Tiger right in that same foursome, certainly. Um, But if you had to play a match tomorrow, life or death, I think I'd want Bobby Jones playing for me against anybody.
1: How did he get hooked up with Alistair McKenzie? Because that was a brilliant combination there. That was done
2: through Marion Hollings uh, or Hollins, who had um, had this idea for Cyprus and she had hired Mackenzie, I believe. I may have my dates wrong, but I think she he had worked on Pasatiempo prior to um, Cyprus. So she knew him. He he wasn't quite the the Titan of golf course design that we think of now. I mean, and he only really did you know, a handful of clubs all in, but, um, Bobby worked with him and he was in, in many instances, a a kind of creative partner in creating that course. Um, but she was the one who put them together and fostered and she had a hand in it too. She was a, she was a force in, in, um, Northern California golf and, and society circles uh and it was her dream really that this uh, how that club got off the ground so um i i think it was just one of those things it was like when everybody came together to make casablanca you know it was it It all was it was greater than the sum of its parts and um exactly right I, i i would i i mean i have a special fondness for it because i played it a bunch and I, I think its beauty is unmatched. But Cypress is my favorite course, and if that you know the old question, if you had one round left to play, where would it be? That that would be my answer. Um, so I you know it it means a lot to me personally, and uh, and I think it's it's a great story because it was really also the birth of golf on the West Coast. Um, at, at that plus what then happened with Crosby and the, starting the clam bake and supporting. The western tour which was really the start of the pga tour so it's in it you see the it's the the chrysalis for what became professional golf today
0: with with support from big timers crosby was nobody was bigger right was he bigger than nobody was bigger he was bigger than yeah
2: because he had a he had a broader reach because of his recording career and um you know they were both obviously in in the movies and on radio and um, had come out of vaudeville, but um, Crosby had a uh, had a kind of genius. I mean, he uh, the the similar to Bobby Jones in a way. I mean, he invented um, magnetic tape recording. You know, he he created the first kind of usable commercial tape for recording his own songs, um, and nobody was bigger. It wasn't until Elvis and then the Beatles came along. That anybody sold more records than Bing Crosby, and
1: but I remember music. They still did not sell White Christmas, I don't think, for quite some time.
2: No, no, it's, um, and you know, you you think about the the road movies, which I can still watch today and sure. laugh myself sick. Those guys were incredible comedy partners. I mean, there wasn't anything Crosby couldn't do. Um. He was a little, a little bit like Dean Martin in that respect. He didn't look like he was ever working very hard when he was an actor. Same with Dean, but they were fine actors and very truthful actors who gave you the real deal. You know, if you ever watched The Country Girl with with oh, Grace Kelly, absolutely. you know yeah. um, he could he could really bring it. So, yeah, pretty amazing guys.
1: Yeah, they were both both Bing Crosby and Dean Martin are extremely likable on screen
2: yeah and and in real life i got to meet dean too and um he was not the 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 roue that he pretended to be on stage he was in private he was uh, a delightful kind of low-key guy um i was i had a good friend who was with knew them both very well both dean martin and jerry lewis and um actually walked into there was a little restaurant Dean used to go to on Santa Monica called Carmine's and my friend who's passed away. was a great producer who produced greatest game ever played. Actually knew Jerry really well, and they were doing something together and they walked into Carmine's and Dean and Jerry hadn't seen each other in over a decade. And he got to witness. I mean, the minute Jerry saw him, he started tearing up and he talked him into going over and he sat with them for half an hour. And listened to their conversation. Dean had lost his his son, uh, who died in a. He was in the Air Force Reserve, and his plane had crashed. Um, a thing that he never really recovered from. That was the thing that that killed Dean. Um, but to be only one step removed from the reunion of Lewis and and Martin Martin was pretty cool.
0: It's it, yeah, they were quite a duo. Yeah. Uh, talking to folks like yourself and hearing these stories emphasizes the importance of friendships and you're talking yeah. about uh, Palmer and Venturi so it making, makes these make, guys make, human to hear these stories exactly. yeah it does and, and they uh, all
2: are and that's you know i have a nephew who's a prominent mlb player and um i I'd, I'd never seen the inside of pro baseball until he was at that level, and you forget that these guys have to get up every morning, and they they hurt, and they've got to push through. And they're particularly baseball; it's a freaking marathon. They've got to play 162 games, and and then they go to work, and people scream at them. Yeah, you know, it's like I I think about okay, I'm getting up in the morning, I'm working on my new book. Am I going to invite 12 people in to heckle me while I'm writing? I mean. It's you like, really want
1: to say it that way? <laughs>
2: yeah, you can't You can't find a better word for that? But, you know, where's your thesaurus when you need it? It's like, How about that explanation point? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Remember you know, L.G. King famously said, uh, pressure is a privilege. And I think every, every great athlete would agree with that if they're up to it. Um, there are very rare individuals who don't seem to feel it. Only a few. I think Nicholas is one of those guys. He got better.
0: Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter was that
2: way. Tom Brady. Um, George uh, Brett. Yeah, George Brett. There were guys um, who just didn't care. It only made him focus. Made uh, him better. Yeah, made him better. That's a rare rare person.
1: What was the story about... um... Marilyn Monroe going over to entertain the troops and coming back and telling her husband at the time, Joe DiMaggio, that he'll never know what it's like to stand in front of 50,000 people cheering for you. Yeah. It's like, how well? Really? Joe DiMaggio? Really?
2: Do you know know what my last name is? Yeah. Yeah. I just watched, uh, there's a a good documentary. I actually wrote a movie about her in the 80s. Based on a book called Goddess by an Irish uh, journalist, that was the first book that told the whole story of her life and her involvement with the Kennedys. And um, there's a pretty good documentary called The Mysteries of Marilyn Monroe that's on, I think on Netflix now. Mm-hmm. Where he goes back and it's recreated out of all the interviews that he did with all the people who were involved. If you're if you're curious about her story at all, it's worth a watch. It's pretty good.
0: I have to ask you how how did how did it end for her? Who had it in for her? Was it Sam Jane Well, how do you think it happened?
2: Um, it was my conclusion, and I this guy's name was Anthony Summers. Still, he's still with us, and and he's an Irish journalist. He's written some great books about Hoover, the Kennedy assassination. I mean, he's he's covered the waterfront. I mean, he wrote a book about the even the um, uh, the the Uh, what's their name the 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 russian ruling ruling family the romanovs who were killed in 1917 um so he was the first serious journalist to dig into this this story around maryland so to make a very long story short and you should watch the documentary what seems to have happened is that she wasn't murdered but that she was under this tremendous amount of distress because she'd been involved with both Jack and then Bobby and um, had, they had then just dropped an iron curtain and cut her off. And she was a very vulnerable, very um, fragile, um, fragile soul. And um, Bobby was on the West coast. She was taking a lot of, of, um, of drugs to handle, anxiety and her depression and apparently there was a visit to her house that involved her psychiatrist and Peter Lawford and Bobby Kennedy and maybe somebody else where they Bobby agreed to go see her and try to make amends because she had threatened to call a press conference and go public and she got hysterical allegedly and her psychiatrist gave her a sedative in a syringe allegedly and she quieted down uh, and they left and what but what they didn't know was that she'd been taking barbiturates throughout the day and the drug that he put into her system put her into an overdose and the housekeeper called them an hour or two later and said she was non-responsive They went back to the house they called an ambulance allegedly and were taking her to st joseph's hospital in santa monica when they lost her and they decided that they would turn the ambulance around put her back in the in her own bedroom and make it look like a suicide that's the story that that anthony thought he had found Amazing. um and i tend to believe it
1: well they were but all yes, ill-fated, say- as, as time has showed us it was. It's. It's our Anthony and
2: Cleopatra. You know. It's our. It's our great, kind of tragic, mythology about the, um, the boys of Camelot and the the golden girl and it all came to grief for all of them. It's it's an astonishing story.
0: Yeah.
1: Hmm.
0: So. So uh, I
2: bumped into a lot of good stories in the course. Of yeah, uh,
0: you bumped into a lot of them. I'm going to bump into one right now. Would you? <laughs> How would you? Well, you've met Palmer. Mm. You know you, you you didn't meet Hogan, or did you? Didn't meet Hogan. But you know enough about Hogan that you know him. You know mm. enough about Palmer. Is this Ludwig Oberg the next combination? Ben Hogan, Arnold Palmer. He has the charm, but he has like the near perfect golf swing, and maybe he's got the ethic, the work ethic. Maybe
1: Does he have the appreciation of the fans as well. That's the key. That
2: was the key to Palmer. Um, he was uh he had the human touch. He could have been president, I think.
1: Yes, he could have. Yep.
2: He he had he had the thing that retail politicians all long for, and very few possess. Um Hubert Humphrey had it, believe it or not. I I met him when I was in high school. I interviewed him on a show. He, uh you could meet him, and 15 years later, he'd bump into you at an airport, and he'd remember your name. Arnie was like that. And um, I, I, I've never met a more charming guy. My dad was a huge Palmer fan as I was growing up. So I, uh, like like he did, I rooted for Palmer. And we all kind of resented Nicholas's entrance, this yeah. big— football looking guy from Ohio, um, who played sort of Germanically with, you know, without emotion. Cause Arnie was so, he was such a, um, an open book. <laughs> yeah. And the, 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 helicopter, um, and they, they actually had a deep abiding, uh, respect and affection for each other, which both of them told me. Um, and I thought that was pretty cool that that survived down the years so, um, I mean, that's the game needs that right now. The game needs another figure.
1: I was lucky enough to play at the Desert Inn with Arnold Palmer in an 18-hole oh, cool. pro-am, and I've right. told the story before. But coming from the 18th green to the locker room, he signed every autograph mm-hmm. every, every until they were gone. It wasn't like he kept walking until he got there until yeah. there was no one left, and I yep. stood with him while he was doing that. He was just yeah, you know, I've never I've never met anybody like him in, in my life. And uh, not that I, I'm not claiming that I know him, but spending yeah. five hours with him one day was was enough to. You would to you would be it.
2: able to you would be able to know that it was all genuine. He, I was he absolutely, genuinely yeah,
1: absolutely,
2: yep. loved people and um, credited the fans with his success. I mean, he said, I couldn't have done this without the support of the people who were behind me. Yeah. And I wanted to give back and amazing man.
1: And he told his his uh, compatriots at the time that they should have, have the same kind of appreciation for the fans. He didn't like tolerate guys who were not understanding of how important the fans were.
2: Exactly. Well, that, that was the birth of the Pro Tour. I mean, his victory at the Masters really is what kicked it off. That was the first year it was televised. And um, he captured the heart of golf fans around the world.
1: Yeah, so uh, and, walking around with him and Arnie's army, and it yeah, really was. The, the, it when was when he army. knocked the putt in, the, the, the noise was like you were in a, on the sidelines yeah. of a giant game. It was that loud. Figer, Figer had a similar effect on his
2: crowds, but he didn't like them. You know, he didn't right. like being, it was different he didn't like being around them. Right. Because he'd, uh, he'd grown up in a, you know, in a fishbowl. And, um, yeah, he uh, had eyes
1: on the prize. Yep.
2: Yeah so and he had all sorts of other things to contend with that that already didn't so um they they had a similar kind of effect on the game and um i mean that's why they all sort of belong on mount rushmore
0: well there's There's you got your book there you got jack nick father was a pharmacist i never heard that he was a a tough guy maybe he was a straight-laced guy palmer's father palmer revered him but he was tough and then uh, he was very Tiger's father was a lot of things, right? Yeah. I don't know all the facts, but, you know, one thing he was is he got Tiger out there and he, he got him focused. And I think that, that that's your book. I mean, you don't have to well, bring he, Tiger he, he into the book. Tiger but...
1: was born into Tiger. Tiger was born a winner but with the urge yeah. to win. And he was
2: programmed from birth to capitalize on that by both his mother and his father.
0: Well Palmer oh, wasn't she programmed. Was, Palmer was not to hit balls in the rough. Don't you dare hit practice balls on my fairway by Deacon. And uh <laughs> exactly. and uh, I don't know about Jack Nicholas. I think he grew up a little bit more cushy if that's the right they word. They were a little
2: more middle class, yeah. Um and um and Jack played other sports. You know, he was he was a football player. He he enjoyed uh, he was a good basketball player too. Um I think I remember that him telling me that. Um, so golf was sort of a, you know, uh, it was a, a game that unless you grew up a caddy or around a golf course, or you were a member of a golf course, why would you play golf? You know, I, I mean, how would you have access to it? No. It's, um, it, it, it's a select few who can make it to the the top of that game. Um, and I, wor- and I do worry about the future of where we're going with it. I think the, 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 I am a bit of a traditionalist and the live golf thing has always rubbed me the wrong way. And, um, yeah I, yeah, I, um, I just don't see how this resolves the, the way the, the kind of backdoor deal that ended it, I think still has a lot of questions about it that have to be answered.
0: Um, what and I, the, I, what about the rumor about Ari that the big, uh, the guy who's out in your world, the uh, the agent, the Ari, big, Matt, Ari, yeah. he's, he's I, I've heard he's, he's talking about doing it. That would be well, fun. If he took it over.
2: That Ari would know what to do with. I mean, Ari's one of my agents. I mean, I'm at that agent. Yeah, but get rid, of, um, get
0: rid of get rid of Piff and let him take it on. Maybe he brings a couple yeah. of the private equity banker types in. There's certainly money. He could do it. This.
2: And um, WME, in fact, another friend of mine who's a good member of Wingfoot, Rick Rosen, who you may or may not know, is the head of television at, at WME. He's a close, close friend of mine, uh, was a good golfer and played collegiately, I think, it, maybe it was a walk-on at Michigan. Um, and we talk about this all the time. They represent a lot of good golfers. Um, and uh, I think that would be probably the best thing that could happen. Just get it out of the just get it away from that Saudi money that is just got so many question marks around it and and bring it back to the States where it belongs.
1: My money is a necessary evil in sports, but I think it has tainted a lot of the old, you know, aspects of, of every sport.
2: It has. I was talking with an old friend last night, you know, um, I was, as I said, born in Brooklyn, grew up uh, with, my dad was actually a Giants fan, but i Fell in love with the Dodgers. We moved out to LA the same year the Dodgers did. I grew up
0: less well, than two time. miles.
2: Yeah, I we lived. I watched the stadium go up. I went to opening day. I so you didn't program. you didn't have that
0: pain in your heart like all those other guys in Brooklyn because they didn't go west. I we went west with them.
2: Yeah, we we'll went west with them. Um, we sit in the back I, of the plane. <laughs> I understand why they felt uh, bereft. I I do. Um, Rick Snyder, but. Duke Snyder, yeah. Um, but all those guys had other jobs. Yes. You know? Um, yeah,
1: car salesmen, yeah. Football players. Yeah, I mean, givered,
2: Chuck job. Connors was an actor, right? <laughs> he was yep. a ball player first. I mean,
0: Here's a we were talking last night point.
2: about that all those, all those Dodgers in the early 60s were getting bit parts in Westerns and on TV shows. Koufax, Drysdale, Connors.
1: Yeah, Don um, Drysdale was on the Beverly Hillbillies or Leave it to the Beaver, yeah because they needed the money
2: not because yeah. they were celebrities right and yeah. they needed the exposure it was a different world back then so well, if Mickelson wasn't I mean, in the
0: hole why does he need 200 million or whatever he got 100 million i understand he's who, a who is that if Mickelson, Mickelson? Who, who i have a maybe he owes people money or whatever and he had to get himself out well, of,
2: i don't think we know the full extent
0: of what went on with his gambling and um,
2: I don't know that, I, I mean- um never
1: know with anybody wrote, to the full extent.
2: Yeah. I mean, who wrote the big book about him? Was it- Walters. Um, it's no, Right? But somebody wrote a book just recently, Alan Sepinwall, or who am I thinking of? Um, you, you'd know him. Uh, um, big golf writer, acquaintance of mine. i, can't, I just I'm blanking on his Does name. Ship, anyway- though? Uh, Alan Shepnik, yeah okay, I mean, yeah he published a big book about Phil recently. He thinks uh you know that Phil was in a pretty deep hole and his his gambling was really out of control. and sadly, that's what led him into the arms of the Saudis that's the as the theory goes,
1: which um, is too bad because he's a very popular player and he had that kind of charisma and everything going for him on top I, liked of Phil. Of I,
2: I the time I spent with Phil, I really liked him. I just thought, you know, He's personable, funny, intelligent, playful, and he did have a common touch for people. I mean, a lot of people thought he was um, Eddie Haskell, you know, behind yeah. closed doors. <laughs> but um, th- the times I saw him with folks, he seemed pretty
0: genuine to me. So he was he was Elvis Presley in two thousand six in May, be- month before the Open, signing masters, yeah. autographs, giving birthday hugs. So yeah. let's wrap this up with a great story you haven't told us, Mark. We've got a couple of minutes left. Tell us something about um, what you see out there that most people don't see.
2: About show business or golf?
0: Either. Or, or, or don't you care?
2: Um, I think the uh, the most fun – this will crack you up. I, I had a great um, – as we all do, you have a, fa- a favorite foursome that you play with, right? And in the 90s into the 2000s, I, I did a lot of work with, uh, I mentioned him earlier, uh, the guy who, who'd known Dean Martin. Uh, his name was Larry Bresner. He was a partner. And his, be- uh, his partner in comedy management and producing is my best friend. A guy named David Steinberg. Oh,
0: yeah.
2: um, who is not David Steinberg, the Canadian comic. This is a not- guy who Became the manager of Robin Williams and Billy Crystal and Whoopi Goldberg and uh, Bette Midler and a bunch of other people and was uh, a big part of Robin's career for a long time. I met these guys because I was hired to write the sequel to Good Morning Vietnam at Disney in the late 80s. And we hit it off right away and I got became friends with Robin. Um, and David is a great uh a golfer a great fan of the sport his nephew is mark steinberg of uh tiger woods fan that's woods his manager. agent mm-hmm. um manager yeah and um so we played together always and we had a favorite foursome in the 90s into the early 2000s me david remember tom poston sure
1: one yeah one of yeah. my
2: favorite actors great actor. maybe <laughs> my favorite person that i've ever known in show business. we were very close friends the funniest, sweetest, nicest guy in the world. And our fourth was uh, Super Dave, Bob Einstein, the comic, who is, a, a, a was, he's no longer with us, a comic genius. His, Albert Brooks is his younger brother. Wow. He was a writer on the Smothers Brothers show, along with Steve Martin and George Carlin and the other David Steinberg. I mean... He he created the character of Super Dave had that great show on Showtime. We're super speaking people.
1: Jackass. Yep.
0: Yeah. I'm going to interrupt. Yeah. Uh, we got one minute left.
2: Go okay. ahead. I anyway, will cut that out. We were my favorite. My favorite foursome. Th- th- these four guys, um, and uh, always hilarity, always laughs, always fun. Um, Tom, David had just gotten a new one of the first titanium drivers, <laughs> and. Um, he hit a shot, um, and it just had this perfect sound. And Tom just went, my God, that's the, it's like a, like a diamond falling on a marble floor. And without a beat, Dave said, mom coming home on new year's Eve. (laughs) (laughs) We had a laugh at, at, at that quality, at least once around,
0: it was that kind of fun. Sounds like the Forcaman uh Larry David show, you know.
2: <laughs> well, Bob was in Larry, he played um Marty Funkhauser on yeah,
0: Marty was Bob. the best. The best Mark, we, we really appreciate years. this. Yeah, this is unbelievable. I hope we get a chance to have you back. Uh yeah,
1: I have a hundred more questions.
0: Sure. We'll, well do was part two. Uh,
2: yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Give right my regards to Nicholas and Winkford. And yeah, you come to Winkford anytime. You know who to go to. I will. To. I'm on the East
2: Coast a lot, so I'll, give you a, I'll, I'll let you know. I'd, I'd love to get out there definitely. and see it again.
0: I'll
1: take you anytime, yeah. any, anytime you like.
0: Fantastic. All right, right. right. well. Great uh, to meet you. Thanks for joining Casper, us today. Billy Harman, We really appreciate your Double feedback. And, Mitty, and please Marky, subscribe to P. the P. show. hit the bell icon so you get notified movie classics new episodes.
1: mark gable
0: hit him hard and hit him off
1: that's 36 holes